you. There we go. Sorry about that. Is we have a communication card or an invitation card that are going to be in the back and over here. Now, one of the things I want you to notice is it says we're starting our new series, Habakkuk, next week. God, what are you doing? And if you were to read Habakkuk, that's kind of part of what he says and part of the conversation he has with God because stuff is going on and he's having a conversation, yet he's also trusting. So, but as we wrestle through this, there are two areas of scripture that I thought we really needed to address before we moved on from red letters. So we're going to talk about one of them today. And we're going to talk about the next one next week. So we have two more weeks of talking about the red letters of Jesus this week and next week. And then we'll pick up with Habakkuk. But I would encourage you to take advantage of this card. Invite people. It's a great way just to connect with people. You have that. You, you give an invitation. I encourage you to take advantage of that. It's a great tool. But the more, this morning we're going to look at one of those red letter conversations that Jesus had. And that's going to be found in Mark chapter 12. We see two instances of this conversation. I'm going to start with Mark 12. And the reason I'm going to start with Mark 12 is because Jesus says these things. And then when we turn and we look at Luke, Jesus asks a question. And the teacher of the law answers with the same thing that Jesus says here. But we're going to look at both of those this morning. But let's read from Mark chapter 12. And we're going to start at verse 28. And you might know where I'm going already. And that's okay. Two great passages and two great areas of scripture we're going to look at. This is the first one this week, this conversation. It says, one of the scribes approached. Now just pause for a second. We talk about the scribes. Scribes are kind of like the teachers. The scribes throughout history have various roles. Many, many times scribes are people that write things down and record things. But also in the Jewish tradition, some of the Jewish culture, these are educated people who are also teachers. And so when we read in Luke, the person that asks Jesus, it says, and a teacher of the law, probably also a scribe, all right? So a scribe approaches, and when he heard them debating, and Jesus was debating with the Sadducees, and as introduced, the Sadducees don't believe in the resurrection. They tried to ask Jesus a trick question. Jesus answered the question. He didn't give in ground to the, to the Sadducees, and he kind of set the Sadducees correct. It says, and when he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them well, ooh, that's a good answer Jesus just gave I'm going to sock that one aside. Now, the Pharisees didn't believe in the resurrection. The Sadducees didn't. Maybe some of the scribes would be in different areas, but the Sadducees didn't believe in the resurrection. We said, okay, that's a good answer. He he answered that well. There's thought behind that. There's reason, ration behind that. I have another question for you, Jesus. And so he said to him, what commandment is the most important of all? And Jesus answered, The most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and all your mind, and all your strength. The second is, love love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Then the scribe said to him, you are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one, and there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart, with all your understanding, with all your strength, and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. When Jesus saw that he had answered wisely, he said to them, you are not far from the kingdom of God. And no one dared to ask him any other questions or question him any longer. 
Let's pray together. Father, as we take this time this morning to look at your word and to reflect on this great commandment and this response that Jesus had about what is the greatest commandment. Lord, I would ask that you would guide our time. And Father, you would help us to to wrestle through and to think through some of the implications for our own lives. Guide our time. Father, I ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. In the contemporary church, as you would talk to many church leaders and you would ask them, what are some of the driving scriptures that would drive your understanding and your perception of the mission and the purpose of the church? Many, if not almost all of them, would come back to these words that we just read. And they would look at this and they would say, one of the things that has to drive us, has to move us as a congregation, that has to move us as a people, is this great commandment. And it, it should. It really should. Now, God gave this commandment a long time ago. But let's read again. So one of the scribes approached... When he heard them debating and saw that Jesus answered them, well, he said, what command is the most important of all? And again, Jesus answered, the most important is, listen, Israel, the Lord, our God. And Jesus goes back to Shema, goes back to what they call the Shema, this statement from Deuteronomy 6. And we're going to read it in a second. All the Jews know this. Okay? If you were to go north from Tom's River and and talk to the average person you're going to meet on the street, and you ask them, what is the Shema? All of the Jewish community to the north of us is going to say, Behold, all Israel, the Lord our God is one. You should love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. They're all going to know it. Permeates Jewish culture. And in this Jewish culture, they knew this language. They knew this. They understood this. And in a, in a devout Jewish individual every morning would make this a prayer. And as they would go to bed at night, they would make this a prayer. Listen, all Israel, the Lord your God, the Lord is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, with all your strength. And he says, and the second is, love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other command greater than these. Now, have you heard, seen those pictures of the Jewish guys at the Wailing Wall praying? And they kind of have this thing wrapped around their head and they have that little box on their forehead. This verse from Deuteronomy would probably be in there. Have you ever gone into a Jewish home? And as you walk through the doors, you'll see on the doorposts this verse from Deuteronomy is going to be in there. Our first home that Jonah and I lived in had been owned by a Jewish family, or a Jewish family lived there. And so as we went in and started to live in there, still in some of the doorways was the the holder for that. The Jewish culture understood this, but he was testing. Jesus, what's your answer? And he was expecting this. So let's look at Deuteronomy chapter 6. We're going to start at verses 4 and 5. 
Listen, Israel, the Lord our God is one. Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your strength. It's right there. Flows right on the heels of the, of the law, the Ten Commandments. And the Jews understood this. They understood this well. Now, some commentators would say what he didn't expect was the next part of Jesus' comment, where Jesus talked about Leviticus 19. But again, as a scribe, as a teacher of the law, he would understand this and he would know this commandment. He would know this scripture. Luke, or Leviticus 19, verse 18. It says, Do not take revenge or bear grudge against members of your community, but love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So the Jewish community would look at this and listen to this and hear this, and they would thoroughly get and understand what Jesus is saying here. If you're going to define the greatest commandment, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. Now, there's different conversations about how, why, Jesus, why it's heart, soul, mind, and strength, and Jesus in particular added strength, but the whole being, your whole being, your whole person, God is looking for that. God is looking for you to give and to love him with all of who you are. Now, I can't define that for you. I can only define that for me. Because when I look in the mirror of my life and I kind of do that introspective examination inside of my life, I know if I'm holding back. I know if I'm playing games. I know if I'm hedging and, and, and kind of holding things back in the flow of my life or if I'm giving myself fully. But the whole idea here is that God is looking for all of us. He is looking for all of us. So how much of yourself do you put on a table? How much of yourself do you give over into God's hands for his use, for his glory, for his purposes? And how much do you hold back for yourself? See, that's the tension of what's going on here. Tradition, we pray, and then we go about our day. That's part of the conversation that's taking place here. All the Jews would pray this every morning if they're devout, and they would pray this every evening, but then they would go about their day. But does it drive their day? Does that prayer, does that devotion shape the flow of their day? Does it shape the choices they're making? Does it shape the interactions they have with their coworkers? Does it shape how they do a deal? So at the market and they're doing a deal, does it shape how they're doing the deal? And does there, are they doing a deal for God's glory or are they doing a deal because they're going to get over on you? See, that whole thing starts to kick in. We just praying routine and wrote? Or are we allowing these words and this message to shape our life and to define who we are? 
So again, if you were to have a conversation with all these pastors and they were to say to you, this absolutely has to drive, drive what we're about. It should absolutely drive us that a motivation of our heart and a drive for the ministry of New Life Church, but also a drive for the church of Jesus Christ, is that we should be about the process of helping people to learn to love God with all of their heart, with all of their soul, with all of their mind, with all of their strength. It encompasses all facets and all aspects of our being. We should be about that, calling and encouraging people to engage with Jesus to that level of commitment. Now Jesus goes on, goes on in his conversation. And the scribes said to him, You are right, teacher. You have correctly said that he is one and that there is no one else except him. And to love him with all your heart and with all your understanding and with all your strength and to love your neighbor as yourself is far more important than all the burnt offerings and sacrifices. Now just back up for a second. Do you catch the significance of what this scribe is saying? Jesus, I agree with you that learning to love the Lord our God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength and our neighbor as ourselves is more important. If we can get that right, if we can nail that down, the value and the significance of that is more important than all of the sacrificial process that's going on in Jerusalem. Now, the sacrificial process that's going on in Jerusalem, is that unimportant? No, it's not unimportant. It's a command of the Lord. The Lord said to offer those sacrifices. God said, these are things I expect you to do. These are routines and patterns of life that I expect to be reflected in your life. This scribe got it. He understood that what Jesus was saying is that God wants all of who we are. And the reality is, if we're playing in the sacrificial system, but God doesn't have all of who we are, the sacrificial, our commitment and our participation in the sacrificial process, it's a waste of time. It's pointless because it's by road, it's routine, it's tradition, but it's not flowing from the substance of one's heart and one's soul. They're not being driven because they love God. They're not being driven because they want a relationship with God. They're not being driven because they want to honor and glorify the Lord. They're being driven by all sorts of other things. And that's how come he's saying... This is more important than all of that sacrificial process because if you don't have this, the sacrificial process is pointless. Because you're not really meeting with God. You're just going through routine. He got it. He understood. And Jesus makes a profound statement to him. He gave all the other guys cold feet. No more questions came. And Jesus saw he answered wisely and he said to him, you are not far from the kingdom of God. You're almost to the point of recognizing me and seeing me. You're almost to that spot of acknowledging me as Messiah and trusting me. You're almost there. You ever read some of these conversations and you wonder who you will and will not meet in glory? 
And I just wonder if, this guy isn't named. He's not identified. He's he's not qualified in any particular way except just it says a scribe. And and we don't know if he asks other questions later on or not. It just describes him as a scribe. And I just really wonder if we're going to see him in glory. And again, uh, as we had talked about Nicodemus, and we had processed through the conversation with Nicodemus, Nicodemus was right on the cusp. And later on, after that conversation in John 3, Nicodemus did indeed make a decision and he became a person who became a follower of Jesus. But at that stage in his journey, he was curious. He was searching. He was questing. He wasn't quite sure yet. He was looking for those answers. But later on in his journey, he did come to that point of relationship with Jesus and he put his trust in Jesus. And I just wonder with a scribe, where in his journey does he put his faith and his trust in Jesus? Because we also read in Scripture, particularly in Acts, that there are many many scribes and many of these individuals who worked in a temple who did put their faith and their trust in Jesus after the resurrection. And I just wonder if we're going to see him in glory because, dude, you're that far. You're almost there because you get it. It's not about routine. It's not about tradition. We quote this traditionally every morning. Or devout Jew quotes it every morning and prays this every morning. And he, and he closes his, at night, his eyes at night and he prays this every evening. But it's not about the tradition. It's about that devotion of walking with God and allowing God to permeate our lives and have our lives focused in on him. So then we turn to Luke. And a similar conversation takes place in Luke But this time, the shoe is on the other foot. This time, Jesus is asking the question. It says, Then an expert in the law stood up to test him. Now again, an expert in law is probably a scribe, maybe a Pharisee, but probably someone in a scribe zone. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And so Jesus says, okay. So he kind of turns the question back. So what it is written in the law? How do you read it? Now here's one of the interesting things that I would love to understand because you don't, sometimes as you're going through, you don't always know the exact chronology of things. So you don't know if, if this guy had heard about the other conversation, this other guy who asked Jesus, you don't really know, did this come before Jesus answered that guy, or did this come sometime after Jesus answered that guy? Okay? So you don't always know the the full exact flow, because each of the different authors are capturing different things, and they're recording different things, and you don't know exactly where it always falls. But I have a hunch, maybe, that this guy already knew that Jesus had answered this already. And so he, he he gives that safe answer. He knows that Jesus knows this answer. So he gives him Jesus' answer. How do you read it? You're a teacher of the law, and he knows these scriptures. So when we say you're a teacher of the law, we're not just saying you're a teacher of the Bible. When you're a teacher of the law, you know the five books of the Pentateuch. You know the books of Moses inside and out. And so when I, when I quoted both Deuteronomy and Leviticus, this guy knows them. He can bring them up. 
He, right here, right on the tip of his tongue. He's got it all the time. He's got it down because he's a teacher of the law. This is memorized. This is routine. This is rote. He's got this stuff down. And he answered, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all your mind. And your neighbor as yourself. Now, Jesus goes, you answered correctly. Do this and you will live. Now pause for a second. How could Jesus say, do this and you'll live? To a degree, Jesus had already answered that and the the other teacher of the law already responded to that because he got it. Because if you are doing this, where's your heart? Where's your passion? Where's your devotion? Where's your faith? Where's your focus? It's on the Lord. See, if you are learning to love the Lord with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength, and you're learning to take all that God has been teaching you there and then to love your neighbor as yourself because you're now taking those values that he's called you to live in relationship with him. And he also recognized now that he wants you to take those things and live in relationship that same way with others. That transformation of life has taken place. And the, and the other scribe and Mark got it because he says, if, if you get all this down, it's more important than keeping all the sacrifices and doing all that sacrificial stuff. He had it all down. He got it. He understood because that life transformation is taking place. If you're living this way, if you're living out this relationship, you have that relationship with God. You have that connection with God because that transformation has taken place in your life that God desires to have in your life transformed. But, this guy didn't have it. How do you know he didn't have it? Because of verse 29. But wanting to justify himself, he asked Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? See, he didn't know about Mr. Rogers yet. Just that he hadn't heard from him yet. And he didn't get it. He was focused on Leviticus. He was focused on Leviticus. So again, go back to Leviticus. Look at verse 19. We're going to start at verse 18, and then we're going to go to verse 19. It says, Do not take revenge or bear a grudge against members of what? Your community. Against members of your community. Well, how about a neighboring community? Can you take revenge against them? Can you hold a grudge against them? But love your neighbor as yourself. And here's the problem with the Pharisees and the Sadducees and the teachers of the law. They would draw super, 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 super fine lines. 
well, this person is my neighbor. This person is a part of my community. Therefore, I need to treat him as a neighbor. But that person, they don't cross the line. They're a part of a different community. They are not my neighbor. Therefore, I don't need to treat them with kindness and love. I don't need to treat them fairly and with grace. I can take advantage of them. I can be harsh to them. I can be nasty to them. I can ignore them. Because they are not my neighbor. And he's trying to justify himself. Because he's lived really good with that fine line. Do you ever know some Christians that way? They've got the law down. They have lived really good with those fine lines and they have those demarcation points marked out really well. And they know the right places to behave in the right way, but then when you get outside of those right places, they behave differently or they treat people differently. What's interesting is when you go on, verse 19 is also very interesting. Because this kind of introduces part of the trouble. It says, you are to keep my statutes. Do not crossbreed two different kinds of your livestock. Sow your field with two kinds of seed or put, a, put on a garment made of two kinds of material. Here's the problem with the people Jesus is about to introduce. They're crossbreeds. It's interesting that verse 18 says, love your neighbor, your community neighbor, and don't mix stuff. And this guy's trying to justify himself. You ever have that stuff going on in your life? Where in your spirit, in your soul, in the inner workings of yourself, you know that you're wrong. You have this little voice in your head going, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, it's wrong, don't do that, you're wrong, stop it, you're wrong. And you go, nah, you're wrong, you're wrong, no I'm not, you're wrong. And then what do we do? We look at things and we try to then justify and validate, see, I am right because of this. See, look, look at this thing right here, I'm right, you're wrong. And that's what's going on with this guy. He wants to justify himself. And he wants to say, I'm right. When he really, at the core, knows he's wrong. And so let's go back to Luke. And Jesus tells a story. A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho and fell into the hands of robbers. Again, everyone understood that the road from Jerusalem to Jericho was a necessary road, but also in some ways a dangerous road. You ever, um, have you ever had the occasion to have to travel a road on a regular basis, but it's always you... Get in your car, you make sure your gas is full, your car is in good shape, and your doors are locked as you start. 
that's one of these roads. Then you kind of have to drive it on a regular basis. You have to travel it on a regular basis. But you're always careful and cautious when you do so. So this man fell into the hands of robbers. They, they stripped him, beat him up, and fled, leaving him half dead. Now here come the religious individuals, those who lead in the sacrificial process. Those who know the word. Those who quote the Shema every morning and every evening. Those who will pray with that. Because right, right in front of the, the Shema, it says, write these things down and teach them to your kids. Bind them on your head. Put them on the doorposts of your house. That what? That I, the Lord your God, am one God, and you should love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, with all of your mind, with all of your strength. So they all understand this. They, they recognize this. And so these are the guys who will pray with that box in the verse in it. These are the guys who have these things on the doorposts of their homes. These, if anyone in the society and anyone in the community is going to do it, it's this guy walking down the street, the priest. He knows, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. And he knows Leviticus. He knows these verses inside and out. He knows to care and love for his community, to love his neighbor. He knows it. Now, how many of you, this is the first time you actually really heard Leviticus 19.18? And you actually kind of, maybe for the first time, had someone say to you that this is connected to that conversation. And, oh, I didn't really make that connection before. Oh, that's a really interesting verse. I'm going to have to look at that verse a little bit later on. I'll have to look that up tonight when I get home or this afternoon when I get home. And that's kind of cool. I never really made that connection before. These guys made this connection all the time. This is not a, gee, you scratch my head thing. This is they know it, they know it, they know it. This is first grade tests for them. They know it. And this priest, knowing, love the Lord, love your neighbor. A priest happened to be going down the road, and when he saw him, there's a guy in the need. And there goes the priest. Sees him. Recognizes him. Sees the need. Walks right on by. Passed by on the other side. So a priest happened to go down when he saw him. He passed by in the same way a Levite. Again, he knows it. This is a guy that works in the temple. He knows it. He's got it down. This is a guy who helps everybody that's working at the temple. This, is, this guy is, they travel this road on a regular basis, first of all, and they, and they know all this stuff. They have it down. When he arrived at the place and saw him pass by on the other side, so two of the people who should have known what the scriptures say, who understood what the scriptures say, and who would say to you, I am a devout follower of God, 
And I regularly identify and seek to be a person who loves God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength. And I have devoted myself to loving my neighbor as myself. They have the routines of life down. Walk right on by. But a Samaritan. Now again, if you've been around any period of time in the context of the church and heard some conversation with this, you understand what's going on with the Samaritan. The Samaritan is the mixed breed guy. He's the mixed breed guy. He's Jewish and Gentile. He's the mixed breed guy. You know verse 19? Don't mixed breed stuff. He's it. And when he saw the man, he had compassion. He went over to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on olive oil and wine. Then he put him on his own animal, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper, and said, Take care of him, and when I come back, I'll reimburse you from whatever extra you spend. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? See, Jesus just messed with the fine line. He got out of the eraser and erased it. Because this guy was asking the question to justify himself. You're wrong. Is going on inside his head, his heart. But he wants to justify his behavior so that he can be self-righteous. And God's not interested in self-righteousness. And God's not interested in us trying to justify our choices and our behavior. Because God's really not in heaven keeping track. Okay, good, and good. Oh, that was bad. And that's really that's 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 not the kind of stuff God's really trying to look at with us. He's looking at the heart. And are we choosing to love him? with all that's in us, and then share that love and take that love and express it to those around us. Is that what we're doing? And so Jesus just erased that fine line that that teacher of the law had been trying to live with for so long, that he had justified his actions and his choices with. Because while he may not have walked past the robber, the guy who was beaten up on the side of the road, I guarantee you he had walked past people in need, but that weren't part of his community. And dismissed the walking by as, they're not my neighbor. They're not someone I need to care about. They're not someone I need to be concerned with. And I think part of what Jesus is identifying, if you're not seeing people around you and loving people around you, you're not doing a good job either of loving me with all of your heart and your soul and your mind and your strength.
This man said, Jesus, the one who showed mercy, he was the good neighbor. Jesus, the one who wasn't part of the community. The one who everyone in the regular community would have said, he's not our neighbor. The one who everyone in our community would have said, he's the one you can ignore and dismiss and not care about. He was the good neighbor. He was the one who actually modeled what it meant to care about and love someone else. He was a good neighbor. There are times when we as Christians, as we walk our journey, we kind of have this tendency at times, kind of like what the Jewish community did, where we try to live within the rules and we try to keep the rules. But the great commandment transcends the rules because it's about the heart. It's about how you're going to invest your life. It's about how you're going to use the energy of your life and the passions of your life. And are they going to be leveraged for Jesus' glory? Are they going to be leveraged for God's honor? Or you kind of kind of divide them at different times and hold back certain things and save certain things just for yourself and you'll give God these things over here but the rest over here you kind of hold for yourself. And that pours over into how we react with our community. See, that trickles into how we interact with others. It's tough to... Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and all your strength. And then draw fine lines and say, who else am I going to love and who's going to be my community? It's tough to do that. Why? Because God loves everybody. This is the challenge Jesus has given us, to learn to love him with all of our heart, with all of our soul, with all of our mind, with all of our strength, with all of who we are. And as we learn to love him with all of who we are, that overflows in how we interact with and respond to the world around us. And we learn to love the world around us. This is how come so many church leaders say the great commandment is one of the foundational components of what it means to do church in the 21st century. Because part of what we need to be doing is learning to love God with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength. And that's going to overflow as we interact with our world around us because our world around us needs to also hear the love of Jesus. It's not just for me, and it's not just for you. It's for all of us. And it's for everyone that we'll interact with as we walk out our doors, whether we walk out the back door there or the back door there. It doesn't matter. It's for everyone we interact with. So the people that are going to serve you lunch today when you stop for lunch or the people who are going to hand you something as you go to McDonald's or Taco Bell or Wendy's or, or whatever, that person who's taking your money, that person who's handing you food, the person who's going to put gas in your car, the gospel is for all of them. And if we are loving God 
We're also learning how to love them because there's not fine lines in our neighbor. It's a really broad line. Learning to love God and allowing that love to flow out of us. So here's what's really cool today. Today is Communion Sunday. And if you have not gotten the communion cup, just the folk in the back will kind of bring you one. If you haven't gotten a communion communion cup and you want to take communion today, just kind of wave and put your hand up and someone will come get you. But here's what's really cool. For all of us, we were outside of the community. Every single one of us was outside the community. And yet Jesus came and gave his life so that we could have forgiveness. Vicki, one more. Actually, two. All of us. This is what's so cool. As Jesus interacted, as Jesus came, he came that we could have life and we were in his sight. Jesus didn't have that fine line. Jesus had erased it. And he saw us. And he loved us. And we were a neighbor to be loved. We were a neighbor to be cared for. Because just like that man on the side of the road, spiritually we were on the side of the road, beaten up, battered and bruised. And we needed to be rescued. And Jesus did the rescuing. Because he saw us and we were the neighbor. And why did Jesus do that? Because he loved his father with all of his heart, with all of his soul, with all of his mind, and with all of his strength. And as the father said to him, son, I have a plan to reach our world and to care for our neighbor. Will you be a part of that? He said, Dad, I love you. Absolutely count me in. Amen. We need to learn to love our Lord. And I would encourage you to ask, how do you take that to the next step in your journey? As you reflect on your own life, what does it mean for you to take that loving our Lord with all of our heart, soul, mind, and strength to the next step in your journey? And as you look around you and you see people who need Jesus, what does it mean for you to then to model that love to your community and your neighbors? Let's focus on this for a moment. Jesus loved us. The Father loved us. And we were broken and battered. This is what's cool about this man who helped the needy man, the Samaritan who helped the needy man. He bound his wounds. He cared for him. 